Hi, I'm Noah Behrman. And I'm Jen Allen. And this is 149 Sessions. On this episode, we talk about public vulnerability. Enjoy. Jen. Hi, Noah. So um, we decided today we were going to talk about public vulnerability, um, <laughs> which, which I'm uh, already having uh, second thoughts about because <laughs> of the public vulnerability implicit in having this conversation that others may hear. Yeah, um, I feel like I want to just stop. <laughs> Okay. Thanks very much. Uh, This has been sponsored by um, Diet Pepsi. And uh, um, yeah, well, I mean, I I, I don't want to throw you on the spot, but uh, you, you. But let's do it anyway. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you released some music uh, this year, which is, uh, it's, well, and I guess I'll I'll ask you, um, I, 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 to me, there's sort of a, a couple layers, like there's, um, on some level, putting yourself out there in public, whether through music or any other means is inherently something of a vulnerable act. Um, Mm -hmm. for me, the level of vulnerability is pretty variable depending on what you're putting out there and how you're putting it out there. And, uh, Um, so, you know, every time I play music, there's a certain degree in public uh, or for public consumption in any way, there's a certain degree of vulnerability, but there's certain material that, or certain ways of presenting it that make it a lot more vulnerable. So I guess I'm Mm -hmm. curious for you, if that's also true for you that like playing, playing or presenting or releasing a recording of a tune that's about some deeper or more personal aspect of your life is a more vulnerable act than playing a standard show tune where you don't necessarily have any, you know, the, the musical expression may be personal and emotional, but you're not necessarily, um, it's, it's not being filtered through material that is itself personal in nature. Mm -hmm. Did the question make sense? Yes. Yes, totally. And I think for me, it's it's varied over the years. Um, Interesting. I I think that playing initially playing just anything was really vulnerable for me. Like, and, and and sometimes it it still is, but less so as as I get older. Only because I've I've learned to I don't want to say create barriers for myself or, or maybe I don't care the same. Well, let me start, let, you know what, let me back up and like explain what I'm talking about. I think when for a very long time playing any sort of gig, if felt like I was giving a piece of myself to the people that I was with, you know, the audience and to the musicians mm-hmm. and And because of how I saw life in general, the only reason I knew it was really vulnerable is because of the shame that would come (laughs) come Mm -hmm. hand in hand with it. And this this was like the biggest thing that would make me feel really vulnerable. Is like I might actually, I I think when I was younger, I would get nervous on the gig about that. But then I I grew into you know being more of a person that 
had a sense of self and like I didn't care as much what people thought or so I thought and I'd have a have a really nice fun gig feel like I did a good job put myself into the music I go home and either that evening or I'd wake up in the middle of the night with just like shame kind of embarrassment kind of wow um how could you put yourself out there? People don't want to see that. People don't want to hear that. And I had that for many, many years, just like this idea of like, I just wanted to curl up in the fetal position and not play again because it felt so raw and and like I had given too much, you know. Mm. And this is nothing of, and- of what other people have done or said to me. They could have been as like... sure complimentary as possible but it was more just of how I felt I put something out there and all of a sudden I felt like I had sat there naked in front of everybody and let them see every part of me and I was like wait I don't know if I want that and it felt super super vulnerable and it didn't matter what you were playing or uh... not usually I think it was just my being out there and me saying a part of who I am and like this is who I am as a musician, just that in general was super vulnerable. And it, it took me a really long time to get to a place where I, I um, didn't have those feelings. Um, and it took a lot of work <laughs> because I don't yeah. think they were necessarily healthy <laughs> vulnerability things. Like I think it just showed just kind of how, um, how deeply connected I was to the music, how it, you Mm. know, it's not like I could just shut it off at any point in time. Like I'd be like, Oh, I've practiced six hours today and now I'm going to go like home and never think about music and never feel like it was a part of what I, it just feels like me an expression of me all the time. Then, you know, and then we, we could talk about like personal, actual, like putting out an album that is of my music or of things that I've specifically um, like put a, a specific emotion behind. Those mm-hmm. feel different. Um, those feel, um, I think the first time, like my first album, that felt more vulnerable than the second album. And I think it's not that they weren't, and maybe it's just how I'm how I'm explaining it. It's not that the one was more vulnerable than the other. They're both vulnerable. It's just that I felt less fragile, maybe in that. Right. So you were just a more sense. vulnerable human on a more uh, global level when right. pieces of myself came out, and by the time your second album came out, uh, um, just being out there in public, uh, observed by others, was not by itself as vulnerable a thing correct yeah and so and so being vulnerable i guess at this point in my life doesn't feel as scary as it did maybe say 10 years ago or even 15 years ago like those in that time period it felt like a huge risk now it feels still feels like a risk because i think anytime you put yourself out there in any vulnerable act um and i think music in my opinion, is inherently like that because you're, or any art form really, because you're giving a part of who you are. Um, so you kind of put yourself into that that position of being vulnerable when you share that with others. 
I know some artists who don't like to share their stuff, and I can totally understand that because it does feel like like too much for the general public. Um, I don't know a lot of musicians like that, but I know some. Who just don't want to share any of their stuff, and they just keep it totally private because sharing mm-hmm. anything they've created is too vulnerable. Too yeah, and and for me, like I don't. Even when I felt it was super vulnerable and scary, I still wanted to do it. So there's something mm-hmm. inherently like in there that's like I want to share this, but it does, or it has um, kind of provoked some interesting. Um, reactions in my physical and mental spaces. <laughs> Interesting. So in in the uh, in the in those earlier times that you're describing, where it, where any kind of musical sharing felt really vulnerable, was there any was there any variation? I mean, I guess I sort of asked this, but was was uh, the nature of what you were presenting just sort of beside the point, because if it was a song about your personal experiences or inspired by your personal experiences, it kind of didn't matter because you were already like at a 10 out of 10 in terms of fragility and vulnerability just by the time you played the first note. So if it was how high the moon or um, the electric slide or a song about <laughs> your childhood, like you couldn't get any more vulnerable than you already were. So no, it almost I, didn't I mean, matter. Or... I, I think that I understand what you're saying. I think because of the way my trajectory of my vulnerability has kind of gone, I think that it feels like it's a steady thing, but I think it's changed. Like, so initially it was any music. And then I happened to like grow into a place where I wanted to share parts of me. So then that felt mm-hmm. vulnerable. And now it felt it feels like I'm sharing parts of me, but it's less vulnerable. So, like if I maybe if I was a healthier person when I was 21, yeah, you know maybe I would say yes, it felt vulnerable when I shared my personal stuff. I, I'm just, that, I mean, it's, but it's hard for me to it's hard for me to make that distinction because it didn't happen right. in that way. That in, makes sense in yeah. my trajectory, but it's not. Um, I would say now when I share my music. Um, it feels more vulnerable than it does if I'm just playing somebody else's music. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't feel the same kind of uh, feelings I felt when I was younger towards that stuff. So yeah, I hope that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I'll just let the listeners know that I um, just had to take a little pause to uh, make sure my computer was properly plugged in because as we get into these vulnerable places, the last thing (laughs) I want is to be jolted out of that by a technical challenge, um, Mm -hmm. which uh, uh, is something I've experienced enough times in my life uh, to know that I don't enjoy that. (laughs) For sure. Um, Sort of like, uh, yeah, I, I actually have to be careful about that when I open up in certain ways that I'm not like in a position where like, I have to, you know, figure out where to where to get off the highway, or uh, you know, make sure that the lentils don't burn, or something, something mundane that uh, um, forces me to confront uh, um, 
something out in the outside world when I'm sort of open up and have laid all of my organs bare uh, right. on the table. Um, so and I guess, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you, like, how has it been for you in terms of that? I feel like you, you have put forth a large uh, repertoire of very vulnerable stuff. <clears throat> and so I wonder how you feel about that in terms of yeah, it's thinking about that. Yeah, I, I, I will, um, I guess, start, maybe I'll start in the present and work, work non-chronologically backwards a little bit, just in pointing out that uh, this fall I'm coming out with Love Right, which is probably the most vulnerable work I've ever done. Um, it's about the grieving... Um, a loss and uh, maybe on a subsequent episode, I'll talk more about that, but it's, there's a lot about it where I made conscious decisions to go in a more vulnerable direction and have been thinking about different ways that that can manifest, like different ways that I can make artistic choices that make me more or less vulnerable in the creation of something or in performing it or ways that I might um, shine a light on that vulnerability versus having some other musical mechanism that um, shields it a little bit. So the, the emotion might be equally vulnerable, but it's not, it's more or less obvious. So like one of the tunes has really dark lyrics, but they're in French. So unless you speak French, um, you wouldn't necessarily, and it's in a major key, so you wouldn't necessarily know that mm -hmm. um if you didn't speak french i guess and if i hadn't told you but mm -hmm. i guess i just told you so uh um <laughs> but yeah it's I, I guess for me there has there's a couple aspects of it i guess i see vulnerability in presenting myself in public especially in but not exclusively in music i mean vulnerability itself i think is a wonderful and beautiful thing we've both read enough Brene Brown to uh, mm -hmm. um, to have some kind of uh, mental framework, I guess, for for appreciating the necessity of vulnerability to be a fully integral and authentic, um, emotionally whole person. Um, and as far as presenting that vulnerability to the world through through. I say art or whatever else. I mean, to a certain extent, being a performing or recording artist makes you a public figure, if not necessarily a famous one. Mm -hmm. And so that gives you a certain platform for to, that you can use for additional expressions that may or may not be openly and explicitly vulnerable themselves. And uh, so pretty much ever since I started as a teenager having any agency over what material I was presenting in a performance or on a little cassette tape that I recorded or whatever, then I've had to grapple with that. You know, when I was playing, when I was playing classical piano recitals as a kid or school band concerts or whatever, there's a certain performance anxiety or whatever but I guess it didn't feel 
well, there was times when it felt vulnerable, I suppose, just being out there. Um, but it was more the vulnerability of not wanting to screw up or be judged and not that mm-hmm. I was necessarily expressing anything else about myself. And so that was a type of vulnerability for sure. But then when I started writing songs about, um, well, as, as I think I've mentioned on previous episodes, usually initially songs about um, girls who I wanted to go out with who weren't interested in me and uh, <laughs> um, not not necessarily uh, proud of that part of my artistic output. But uh, but I, I, I will say that I am proud that I found that um, vehicle for expressing those emotions. Yeah. But then the... What what started to happen, and you know, this is I'm like 15, 16 years old. I'm like, okay, well, I had this emotion. This emotion led me to express it through this song. This song is now a sort of independent entity, and I created this song that I think is good. And so, do I now have a moral or artistic obligation to share it, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, because it is a genuine thing and a thing that I think is of quality that demands to be heard or shared or whatever. And so um, I put myself in numerous uncomfortable situations by, uh, and continue to, to a certain extent, uh, (laughs) by answering yes to uh, when presented with that question, you know, like, okay, well, you know, and, and I guess I, I, because of that started pretty early on seeing presenting vulnerable work, like work that is in and of itself vulnerable Mm -hmm. as a high risk, high reward thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is to say there's a a greater capacity to have have and share an emotionally potent experience than if it was just mouthing the words to a song that had no meaning to me or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, running my fingers along the piano to create sounds that might be pretty, but didn't have any specific meaning to me. Um, and, uh, and so the capacity to, to share in that kind of intense experience was higher and the capacity to be totally demoralized by how it went down was also greater and um, and I think my determination to have that kind of experience made me keep doing it. Um, and mm. when I started playing jazz seriously, I think it um, it presented that phenomenon in a different way because, well, so a couple things happened. Hopefully this remains coherent by the time I get to the other side of it, but... Um, <laughs> Two two things happened as a result of getting into playing instrumental jazz. Um, one was that there was um, a capacity to feel and tap into some of those same emotions once I became good enough to do this, which took years, without it being as literal. You know, this is not something where the words I was presenting were laying bare the exact sequence of events by which, you know, somebody rejected me or ghosted me or, uh, 
you know, went out with my friend instead or whatever, uh, like when I was a teenager. Um, And, uh, but, you know, I was sort of, sort of reaching for some of those places that were really emotionally intense and conveyed something intense, but it wasn't, wasn't really revealing anything specific about me or my, my inner or outer life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was in some ways really gratifying, um, to be able to experience and share those emotions and experiences without being quite so autobiographical mm-hmm. um, or so explicitly autobiographical anyway. I mean, it might have been that the depth of pain or joy that I was feeling that day was coming through the way I played the tune, but nobody could actually, you know, no, no, nobody could actually hear that in any explicit way. And then the other thing that happened was I started to, because I was playing some gigs when I was in my, let's say, early 20s and on, that for various reasons were pretty unemotional. You know, I was playing with people who were just, I don't know if they were going through the motions, but they definitely weren't seeking transcendence, or -hmm. I was getting hired to play with bands that just weren't that good or playing solo piano four-hour cocktail gigs in a hotel lounge in a tuxedo. Um, These were places where it was really more about craft. Mm -hmm. And um, I could choose to go in an emotional place, but I could also choose to spend four hours, um, you know, singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall in my head while my fingers went over the keys and played the correct notes in the correct places. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I started and there were, I had a couple moments in my early twenties that were actually really illuminating and a bit upsetting when I realized how checked out I was, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, on the one hand, I could still get the job done being checked out, but I'm like, wow, you know, like here's an opportunity to play music. And especially with my fragile body, I have a finite number of opportunities to play music and I'm just, I'm just not here. Like right. um, there was one point where I actually literally fell asleep on a cocktail gig <laughs> <Done that too. laughs> and I woke up and I was still playing the, the same tune and I'm glad I'm not alone, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if I've done it in public, but definitely while I was practicing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I mean, <clears throat> I was in that moment, I was both um, gratified Sorry. <laughs> I'm just remembering I have done it. <laughs> okay, right on. Terrible. Go ahead. <laughs> well, and I, I was gratified that my skill set had gotten to the point where like my autopilot could actually get me through, you know, 16 bars of alone together or however long it was right. um, uh, while I was literally asleep. But <laughs> um, uh, but at the same time, it was like, wow, this is how, how much I'm accepting being detached from the music mm-hmm. and uh and that was sort of a, a no pun intended uh but a wake-up call uh for me to <laughs> yeah. to tune into that but i guess it it also helped alert me to how um there's a i guess it's a continuum but there there are extremes for me of 
presenting music in a way where I'm really emotionally invested and thus inherently vulnerable and moments where I might as well, and I don't do really many of these gigs anymore, um, but where I might as well have been standing in line at the DMV in, you know, in terms of like, this is an obligation for me to get through this experience. And, um, I guess not quite like, I maybe like shoveling snow where there's actually a a task at hand. And like, once I have completed this task, then great. And, uh, but it's not, I don't don't know if a lot of non-musicians understand that there is a lot of what that is like called paying dues, you know, like you're having a lot of those kind of gigs where it's just, you're allowed not to be emotional somehow or vulnerable, you know, it's it's like, nobody's listening and nobody's like, it just, it, it lends itself to this, like, you know, this situation where you're not doing that kind of thing. So I, I don't think that's always the fault of a, of a musician per se. (laughs) No, no. Well, and I guess what I, what particularly puts me in that place is if I'm either playing alone for an indifferent audience or background music. So inherently nobody's listening um, and they shouldn't be listening, you know, yeah. like if they're list, if they're listening, then it means you're being too obnoxious and, uh, uh, <laughs> or playing with a band that not unlike having a conversation at a party with someone who, you know, is just not on, uh, not, not only not on the same wavelength as you, but not on a compatible wavelength. Yeah. And you just sort of figure out how to continue to talk about the weather while, remaining emotionally detached from the situation. Well, I think that that's that's worth a a conversation there too, because I think these are like, we don't just, we're not just vulnerable just in music. You know, I think like that is a great example that everybody has experienced of like, you just meet somebody in there. Like when you meet somebody who's willing to go to that place of vulnerability Mm -hmm. at the very beginning of talking with them and you're like, Oh, like I think you can, not everybody wants to do that. You know, not everybody wants to be vulnerable. Like it's sure. It's and scary. That's fine for them. But, yeah. uh, but if you're, if you're going, once it's clear that if you talk about anything challenging, the person is going to glaze over or change the subject, right. then you know that your own vulnerability is not welcome and perhaps not safe in that yeah. scenario. And so that's, for me, the other, if it's a group situation, the other musicians are the deciding factor. I've had really emotionally intense playing experiences at a bar where literally nobody's listening, but the band is listening. And that's enough for me to commit in that way. And I've had situations where I was playing for a potentially enthusiastic audience, but I sort of shut down emotionally because it's clear that the band is not tuned in in that way. And it's... It's just too painful to like to do the musical equivalent of, hey, can I tell you about uh, this um, potent experience I had and get a response of of how about those Mets or like no response because they're busy texting while uh, um, yeah. the musical, whatever the musical equivalent of that is. And yeah. uh, it's like small talk versus, you know, actually getting to know somebody. And I think that that there's a musical equivalent to that for sure. Yeah. Well, and so at a certain point, um, once I became 
old enough to be a band leader and to have some awareness that even just how I, and this is even before social media really, but like had a, had a platform to an extent in that when I got up as a band leader to introduce a song, I was talking to standing in front of people and talking and I could, um, I could just, um, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I could just go into generic like jazz stage patter script. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I'd like to play a song by the great tenor saxophonist, Joe Henderson. This is a song called Gin Rickshaw, Gin Rickshaw, you know, like. Uh, um, <laughs> That's very <pretty> good. <laughs> thanks. Um, you know, and that totally works. Um, uh, how about a hand for Stumpy Johansson on the bass, uh, you know, all the way from <laughs> Oslo. Uh, um, and uh, um, by the way, there's not to my awareness a bass player named Stumpy Johansson, so don't go uh, uh, Googling him right now. Um, <laughs> uh, there might be, I don't know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So, um, but there was also an opportunity to say, well, here's this piece of music that I wrote or chose based on this emotion or personal experience or bit of, you know, um, of relevance that I'm going to share with you in an intimate way by talking about it. I, I didn't always do that, and I still don't always do that, but I recognized that the capacity to do that was there. And even with, I mean, there was a band I played in for five years in the nineties. So I guess when I say as a band leader, the, the group I played with for, for much of the nineties, I was a co-leader. It was a collective ensemble, but the trumpet player was the quote front man unquote, just in the sense that that was who was on mic and talking to the audience. And mm -hmm. so I was, um, I was not, given that duty of being the the face or voice of the group so to speak even though i had that level of uh investment in what the music was mm -hmm. um and so i started to realize wow you know every every public sharing of my music whether a recording or um or a performance, and nowadays there's all these new manifestations, videos, and whatever else, um, social media posts. It is an opportunity to be vulnerable and personal and intimate and honest about my goings-on. And it doesn't mean I always choose to do that or that it's always appropriate to do that, but I recognize that every time I play just some tunes, I'm choosing not to do that. Um, mm -hmm. I remember that there used to be, um, there used to be a restaurant in Massachusetts where you and I played a couple times together. Mm. Um, uh, it's not there anymore. Um, oh, really? I didn't know. Um, well, maybe you did. Well, there's, that. it, it's, there's something else there. Okay. That, uh, the, the, uh, um, so that's a whole nother conversation, which we can have <laughs> at the end of this, but, but, um, it was a nice place to play, but it was really interesting that the level of attentiveness from an audience varied substantially, not only from gig to gig. And I played there once or twice a year for probably 15 to 20 years. 
Um, and, uh, but even from set to set. So often mm -hmm. it'd be in a three set gig, the first set would be a room with 40 or 50 people in it of whom maybe 10 were listening. So any expressions were, um, or sharing would occur in that context. Um, so where, you know, you'd be, if you shared something intimate, there'd be the 10 people maybe in front or maybe not by dumb luck of where they were seated who were paying attention. Then a lot of people who really weren't paying attention. And then the second set, some of those people would clear out and you'd have um, a smaller but more attentive audience. And then most of them would go home and then for the third set, you'd be performing to a small room, mostly of bartenders who wished you would shut up and let them go home, except that, <laughs> yes. um, not that you shutting up would let them go home. But, but when I played those, those gigs, I, I learned at a certain point that I just wanted to play standard tunes and not really not go to those places that I'm talking about because it just wasn't an environment where that kind of vulnerability felt good. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had, I've had situations where I've shared something. I can think of one in particular, uh, where I was playing at a fairly prestigious venue that I won't name. And, um, most of the audience was really, you know, was really there, like metaphysically and, uh, attentively there. And I started introducing, giving a particularly vulnerable introduction to a tune. And again, we're talking about instrumental music here. So I could have just played the tune and it might've been internally vulnerable, but I wouldn't have been sharing anything about myself. And, uh, and it just so happened that the people who weren't listening were really loud and really close to where <laughs> I was standing on the stage. And yeah. so I'm like, so talking about, um, this, um, sharing, a fragile and emotionally heavy experience to contextualize the song I was about to play. And there's people like laughing and hooting it up, like right next to where I'm standing. <laughs> and I remember, I, I bring up that example because I remember freezing. And in reality, I probably froze for like three or four seconds to, to a degree that was probably inconsequential to the vast majority of people who are paying attention to me. But I was just like, right, right. Like, I just don't know how to deal with the cognitive dissonance right now of like talking about this difficult and painful experience. Um, um, and there are people literally laughing at the top of their lungs right in front of me. And, yeah. uh, um, but that was sort of like a symbol of what I experienced almost every time I tried to be vulnerable in that way as, uh, as a teenager sharing my love Lauren pop songs or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> I find it interesting that I kept doing it and that to a large extent, I keep doing it. Um, yeah. and, hmm. uh, you know, I, I, and I've had a lot of really positive experiences doing that and experiences where I've gotten, even if it's not like, um, regardless of what the experience is in the moment where, um, where it has been, uh, validated to me subsequently by someone who was there that they, you know, they, they felt something powerful or it helped them tune into uh, an experience of their own 
And um, so, I mean, it sort of reminds me that it reminds me there's value in doing that. And I think to an extent for me, the, the risk of the alternative is also part of the, um, part of the calculus, which is to say the, the risk of sharing something vulnerable and having it be ignored or responded to negatively or misunderstood or, you know, fill, fill in the blank of, of the not warm, fuzzy possible outcomes when you share something vulnerable and fragile about your inner being or life experience. Um, but feeling like I can't do that actually feels more scary in a way. It's sort of different. It's not as acute a type of fear, but, um, but there's a certain, you know, this sense of like, okay, well, if I, if I buy into the idea that I have this thing to share, but I'm not strong enough to handle the consequences of sharing it, that actually like hurts my soul worse than dealing with the fallout of, uh, a lousy or inadequate reaction to something vulnerable. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, and I think that's, that's what I was talking about when I was younger. It was mostly just the fear of the of the reaction of others, you mm -hmm. know. And now the the vulnerability is like it's different. It's just like it feels more genuine. It feels more like if I didn't do that, I would be lying, right? In a way, right. and so I think that those are it's it's all the same kind of emotion there but one appears out of fear and one appears out of genuineness um at least for me that's interesting that's interesting you know, like i feel like that that's maybe just come with maturity and like the ability to work through all that other stuff but yeah i mean you've um, worked hard on all that stuff so uh i mean it doesn't go away it doesn't mean that we're not afraid of people of criticizing course. us or whatever like that's all that's all there it just, it comes with the wisdom of saying, well, that's obviously going to happen and that's okay. You know, like yeah. people, well, people, the the people are not always going to like what I have to say or how, what I have to give. And that's okay. Like that, that is not part of being vulnerable. Like the acceptance is not needed. You know, right. like that, that is, well, and we can have a place without having to have somebody validate that for us, that we can do that within and of ourselves. That's, so. that's deep. Well, and I guess that's why I'm sort of leaning into the idea that you've done the work because, uh, you know, it, it, it's not like just getting older makes you not terrified of, <laughs> exactly. of that. Like yeah. you actually have to proactively, um, become a person who has a track record of being strong enough to endure those moments. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and actually I was talking with somebody the other day, somebody I don't know that well, but, uh, and she was just saying that, um, you know, we were, we were having some deeper conversation and she was just like, Oh, I appreciate this. Cause this, I can't do the other anymore. And like, it's, it's hard to just try to say everything's okay or say, or to not, I think that, that that's even worse in, in our culture today. It's like, if you say that you're happy or you're content or you have anything that's good and you wanna share that with somebody, it's almost like 
no, you need to complain. You need to like, there's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there, there's like this, how's it going? Not too bad. Like that's the, that's our natural reaction. And it's like, well, that's not that's honest. And, and like our, our, our words should be actually reflective of where we are. And if we're in a good period, it doesn't mean that we're bad or we have no empathy for other people. It just <laughs> means that that's where we're at right now and why we can't honestly be like that, like with others. Like that's the kind of thing that I think real vulnerability, it's not always like the sad, the, the dark, the, you know, deep crevices of our closet, of our emotional and right. um, artistic closet, but it, it can be the joyous parts too, to be vulnerable, to say, you know, I'm feeling really like blessed right now. I have a lot of amazing things happening and to mm. trust the person that you're talking with or you're sharing your art with or whatever to say that's beautiful and that's worthy of like right. you being acknowledged in that. And that's, I feel that's like a really good point. that doesn't get pointed out either. And they're not that I just think that both sides of, of the coin need to be looked at and said that they're both vulnerable. Um, we don't just have no. to be like talking about the, the sad parts. No, that's, that's a really important point. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess, uh, right. And there's ways of talking about the sad stuff that's actually not vulnerable necessarily. For sure. You know, com yeah. Complaining is not inherently vulnerable. And it's true that <laughs> some of the, some of the uh, stuff that I've put forth that feels particularly vulnerable, it's because it's tender and not because it's agonized or whatever, you know, things about my family, about my, about mm -hmm. how proud I am of my kids or whatever, you know, yeah. that's, uh, um, and, uh, I like that word. I like the word tender because I think that that's, that's more truthful in terms of, it's not like everything's like great, but it's just, sure. it's, it's recognizing beauty where it is and tenderness. You have to be tender in order to do that. So. Well, and to a certain extent, that kind of vulnerability is what allows you to, and honestly, and I think I've probably said this before, well, I know I've said it before, I think I've probably said it before on this podcast. <laughs> it's um, okay, say it again, say it again. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully nobody's got a good enough uh, memory that they, uh, um, or they just love hearing me say it over and over again. I will now say it, actually, which is that one of the things that I love about music, and I think what I touched on before and I talked about getting more... Um, developing enough skill at jazz to be able to get into really emotional places is that there are a lot of emotions that are just not this, this is one of the reasons we need music is to articulate things that are not as definable uh, as happy sad angry proud whatever you know right, they're right. they're those spaces that are hybrids of those things and that there aren't there isn't really vocabulary to articulate. And sometimes, you know, a good, a good song lyric or poem or bit of writing can touch on those same things, even if there's not a term to describe it, it can illustrate those things. But yeah, I mean, the, the material on, on Love Right is some, not all of it is bleak, not all of it is just yeah. like shouting into the canyon, uh, but, uh, <laughs> But all of it is vulnerable. All of it is um, is touching on those tender places, and it's it. I, I'm conscious that it's going to take a fair amount of effort for me to cultivate in myself a healthy headspace where I'm 
prepared to share that and prepared in some way that is not just like bracing myself or shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think, and that's why I, I think I before used used and maybe retracted, but I'll use it again, the term involuntary. Um, it is voluntary. I recognize that I have agency in what I share and how I share it. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain, I guess there's an extent to which the choice has already happened. Like I've already chosen to be a certain type of person. I've already chosen to be a certain type of artist. I've already chosen to embrace that I have a capacity to share things with the world that not everybody has the capacity to share either because I have a vehicle through music or just because I, I am determined to give voice to, to things that I recognize, you know, I have lots of shortcomings, but that's a thing that I am able to do, you know, Mm. that not everybody is able to do. And so I've kind of already made that decision that if, if there's, um, something like that, that I feel like others will gain nourishment from hearing, whether it's a song or a sound or a statement, um, then I have agency over how and when I present that, but I kind of have already relinquished my agency over if, because Mm -hmm. I've already kind of committed to that being my MO. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's still hard. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess, you know, it's even like another layer, right? It's like how how straight if you present something vulnerable, how vulnerable are you in how you present the vulnerable thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm I, I'm capable of going up and playing a vulnerable piece of work. Um and uh um, and, and being very sort of detached and matter of fact in how I present it, um, or I can actually be vulnerable in how I'm presenting it. And sometimes I get caught off guard and that can be either really beautiful or really awful, depending on how that goes. I had an experience two years ago. I won't get real specific cause I don't want to, um, I don't want to uh, call out anybody who didn't mean ill or whatever, but I basically was performing some fairly vulnerable material in a setting that I expected to be receptive and wasn't. And it messed me up for a while. Like, not that I can't handle playing for, I mean, I've played for literally more unreceptive audiences than I can count. Um, <laughs> But I know not to go into a vulnerable place internally mm-hmm. when in that situation. And here I was well-intentionedly led to expect a certain degree of receptivity. And by the time I realized that wasn't happening, have you ever been in a situation, this is like a sort of comparatively trivial example of this, where you count off the tune and within the first 30 seconds, you're like, this totally sucks. Maybe it's the wrong <laughs> tempo or yes. maybe maybe I just completely miscalculated that this tune was going to work with these people or in this key or at this instrumentation. But my only options right now are to either suck it up and finish the tune, even though I know it's going to be terrible, or 
or literally in front of an audience stop and say, this just isn't working. Pretend you didn't hear that. Start over. Um, yes, I've had that feeling. I don't think I've ever stopped and I don't know, maybe I have. I can't remember what I, I did. I can't remember so. if I have either. Yeah, totally. But yeah. but so this was like a whole gig example of that where like by like two minutes in, I realized mm -hmm. that all of the material I had chosen and given to the people in the band and planned for and all of the stage patter was designed for an audience that was with me in a way that this audience was not. Right, that makes sense. And there were a couple people who, and this is where it gets really complicated. There were a couple people there who were, who were tuned in. And so I sort of tried to tune into them and like felt a responsibility to do what I ultimately did do, which was give them the potent experience that I was capable of sharing. <laughs> but man, it was like, it was like, um, you know, trying to run through molasses or something because, uh, not that yeah. I've ever literally tried to run through molasses because Sounds like I, I had to continue to present, present as being like open and vulnerable and like, you know, trying to help guide people through this, um, this intense and sort of tender, fragile experience together, which most people there were just not paying attention to. Right. And, uh, you know, I was like, like prepared the, uh, prepared the motivational speech and I wound up in the, uh, hotel lounge playing the cocktail gig. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I didn't have the alternate set list to, right. uh, to go to for that. And, uh, yeah. And I, 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 what I found really interesting about that experience was just how hard it was, you know, I'm like, mm. geez, like I, at the time that this happened, I was like 44 years old and I'd spent over two decades working through this stuff and uh, um, would like to think that I would have liked to have thought that I had reached some point of wisdom and experience and enlightenment where I could be vulnerable and at the same time, impervious to the pain of being poorly received or not received at all or whatever. And it's like, nope, this still totally sucks. This is still, <laughs> yeah. this is still really painful and really um, disorienting. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But you, I think like one thing, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but that, I think when with experience comes the idea that we can kind of get back from those places a little bit better. Sure. We can kind of sure. understand them a little bit better. I don't think any of the stuff ever stops it. You know, like that's, I think that stuff will happen for the rest of our lives. Like, is it just how it is when we deal with other human beings? But sure. Um, sure. It's just, yeah, kind of not being thrown off by it, I guess. You know, and being like, oh, yeah, that's, that's least... what's happening and I can, I can make sure. it through this. And um... Yeah, I, I maintained the intellectual awareness through right. all of this. I'm like, okay, well. This and that's is all the of... hard work that you've done, right? I guess so. <laughs> so I guess so. That you're Thanks. able to do that. So I think that those, those are, I don't know. I think these are, those are experiences that we're, we're all going to continue to have. Um, yeah, in all light, yeah. in all of life. But I think that for me, at least, the idea of being vulnerable is something that I want to continue to be because it feels authentic. It feels 
it feels like truth. It feels yeah. like I can't, I can't be something else. And I know there's a lot of people who can't go there and that's, I understand that. Um, yeah. And I guess that's why I was saying, I feel like, uh, you know, the fact that I can, even if I don't always enjoy it, it probably, I don't know, it might appear to the outside that I always enjoy it uh, because, which is kind of my point, I guess. I sort of feel like, you know, there's a, somebody's got to do it, you know, like, so, and I feel like if I can model, if I can model for people who are having those feelings and are afraid to communicate them or afraid to put Mm -hmm. themselves out that way, you know, it's, this may sound really weird, but I I sort of, or, well, and I guess this is me being vulnerable, trying to uh, qualify my way out of saying the thing that I'm about to say. So I'll just say it. Take two. Um, <laughs> they, I, I feel like I'm doing my duty to an extent if I can model that um, that it's possible to share these things and it's possible to be vulnerable and fragile, um, and that there is some uh, release or some comfort or some connection possible if you're able to do that. Um, yeah. And it's, and, it's, uh, it's worth it because it's, you are being who you are more fully and every person should be allowed to be able to be that. I know we, we can't always be that as we've pointed out, but that you're kind of encouraging others because you want them to be able to be who they are authentically. And that's right. Yeah, I'm trying. And I guess I guess the reason I, I bring that part of it up um, for anybody who's actually made it this far through this conversation <laughs> is that it, it may appear that that comes more naturally than it actually does. Like it yeah. may appear that I just uh, and you know, I don't know, maybe I maybe I was anointed at birth with some greater capacity to. Um, risk public foolishness or whatever, but um, but it really, by my perception, it really is a decision. It really is a, a choice to push through the aversion responses that I have when I'm about to say something or um, uh, share something and say, well, you know, this is important enough that I need to do this anyway. And... Uh, um, and then I, you know, if it's something that I'm writing, then I go back and I erase all the qualifiers that actually uh, ob- obscure what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. It's too late to do this now. I guess I could go back uh, with, with <laughs> editing software and take out all my qualifiers. But that would be less vulnerable. I guess, uh, hear, hearing me <laughs> so grapple with this makes it. it more real. No, nope. <laughs> leaving it alone. Yeah, it's good. So it's do nice. you do you foresee? I guess this is my last question for you. Do you do you foresee your increasing embrace of vulnerability um, having a, like a at least for you noticeable whether audiences notice it uh, impact on your creating and presenting music as you move forward? Like, I hope that... so. I mean, hmm. that's my intention. My intention with any of the work that I'm doing is that. I can just be a better person for people in my life um, and for myself. And I, if I can continue to 
dig into that stuff. I hope it would come out in my in my music and mm -hmm. my writing, and that's that's the hope. You know, um, I don't do it for the outcome, but I I hope in the outcome. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So. Right on. Yeah. Well, I think I've emptied the tank. So thanks, Jen. <laughs> thanks, Noah.